This is Competition Law with Professor Karon Beaton-Wells, exploring the challenges in competition policy, law and enforcement. This series looks at the impact of those challenges in a digital economy, whether you're a citizen, consumer or competitor. In this episode, Karon speaks with Dr Thibaut Schreppel about risks for competition on blockchain and challenges for competition authorities in tackling it. They may want to agree on the way to design the blockchain or agree on the way that eventually they will share some of the miners or they will agree on the price to enter information into the blockchain. So one foundation running the code of one blockchain could enter a collusion with another foundation on the way their blockchain are operating. That could be seen and I think that it will be eventually. Here's Karan Beaton-Wells. Some of you may recall that in episodes 22 and 23 of the podcast, we started to explore the mysteries of blockchain technology. Our guest, Dr. Thibaut Schreppel, helped us with what all its strange terms mean, how it all works, and the trillion-dollar question, whether it might challenge the power of the mega-platforms. In today's episode, Thibaut returns, and this time we get more into the nitty-gritty of antitrust. Just how might an abuse of dominance or a cartel play out in the blockchain world? Is this old wine in new bottles or new wine in new bottles? But first, a warning. The episode assumes some understanding of the, well, rather mind-boggling terminology and technicalities of blockchain. And if you're a bit green on these, as many of us are, then I recommend you go back to our primer in episode 22. The conversation in this episode started with me asking Thibaut whether or how we might expect to find abuse of dominance on blockchain. I would say that probably if we talk about a public blockchain, because no one is in charge, because everyone is in charge of it, you don't have any mastermind behind the blockchain. And because of that, it is more difficult to see any potential abuse of dominance. On the public blockchain, you can't exclude anyone from it. So if we discuss it, pure exclusions, it is impossible. But I think the main issue with regard to abuse of dominance is the private blockchain system. So perhaps you might explain the difference between public and private blockchain, because this seems really critical when we're thinking about the potential for abuse of dominance. It is. Well, the idea behind public and private blockchain is that a public blockchain is a blockchain that is freely accessible to anyone, anytime. No one can forbid you to access and to use a public blockchain. So you can see what's on it, although you are not using it. You are not registering any transaction or putting any information into the blockchain. But if it is public, you can see information on the blockchain. On the private blockchain here, we talk about something which is the exact opposite. Here, it is a register still, but to enter the blockchain, you need to ask the permission to one or several companies, depending on the way the blockchain is designed. And those companies can revoke the rights and the ability you have to access the blockchain anytime they want. And they don't need to ask any permission 
of any of the users on the blockchain to do so. So they might say, well, I want you to be able to enter the blockchain today, but in one week, you'll be out. Or they could say, yes, you can enter the blockchain, but you can only see half of it. The other half is secret. I don't want you to see what's going on. Or I want you to be able simply to see what's happening on the blockchain, but you can't register any information on the blockchain. So on a private blockchain, you do have a pilot on the plane, and on the public blockchain, no one is in charge of it. So one can readily see, given what you've said, how a category of abuse like refusal to deal in terms of refusal to access might occur in the private blockchain, but not public. Exactly. Although I think it could be possible, but the idea is because you can't modify the way a public blockchain is functioning unless at least 51% of all of the users agree to do so, which if you have 10 users, is super easy. But if you have millions of users, then it's suddenly super complicated. So because of that, I think if public blockchain is used for anti-competitive purpose and abuse of dominance, that possibility will have to be integrated into the blockchain functioning from start, from day one, which I would say is very unlikely, unless, of course, the blockchain was purely designed for such a practice. On the private blockchain, they can start a blockchain with the willingness to do well and eventually implement anti-competitive practices. So it's because of that, I think it is more likely to see abuse of dominance on private mm. blockchain. And the refusal of access could be both horizontal, if, for example, in the case of a consortium that owns or controls a private blockchain, there's a limitation on those who can join. But it could also be vertical, couldn't it? There could be vertical foreclosure. Can you foresee how that would work? It could. Let's say that you do have a private blockchain and what you do is that you enter all of the informations related to the supply of one product. You could say, well, although I'm the supermarket, I want that producer not to be able to enter my blockchain because I don't want that producer to be able to see the price and to see the entire process. So you could definitely be vertical and, of course, it could be horizontal because it might be that you don't want your competitors to enter the blockchain and see everything. What about a predatory pricing scenario? Can you see how this would arise in the context of blockchain? And what would be the price we're talking about here? So here, if we discuss blockchain as a register still, which is the basic level, you could imagine one company saying, well, to use the blockchain, there is always a price for that. The price will be below the average variable cost that is needed for the system to run. And I will do that for six months. And then eventually, fairly basic pricing strategy, the prices to enter information on the blockchain will go up. That's a scenario where we're concerned about competition between blockchains, isn't it? One is pricing its transaction fee below cost. Exactly. So that blockchain can attract more users. So that's the scenario where, as you said, the blockchain is operating as a register or ledger. But in the case of applications running on the blockchain, predatory pricing could arise in the same way as we think about it off blockchain. Exactly. It could be the exact same thing to say, you want to use my application? Well, the actual price of the services below the average variable cost. And are there other categories of abuse that you see as looming potentially large in the context of private blockchain? I would say on the private blockchain still, you would see potentially 
exclusive dealing. And you see that being implemented already. Of course, those blockchains are not dominant, so there is no issue there. But some of those blockchains say, if you want to join the blockchain, I want you to give me the exclusivity over all of the information that you put on the blockchain. It might be one of the conditions. What you might see also is loyalty rebates. They could say, well, if you use the blockchain, the 10 first transactions, the price is X to register any information. And then if you use it more, the price is going down. That would be fairly easy for a private blockchain to implement. And I guess I have to plug the concept of predatory innovation on which I wrote my PhD. Very briefly, the idea is to say, well, the way you may modify the blockchain might be anti-competitive. It might be that you are not changing the code of your blockchain so to improve the blockchain, but solely for the purpose of eliminating competition. And in fact, you could see a blockchain being modified so that some compatibilities with other blockchain will be deleted after a while. That is very likely to occur. You're referring there to the elimination of interoperability so that switching costs rise? It could be, yes. Between blockchains, it could also that you want to eject one of several users from the blockchain or that you could change what they can do on your blockchain so eventually to hurt their competitive process. Of course, Thibaut, we should mention we are only hypothesizing here. There's been no case law yet. And even when there is a case, any of those practices we've referred to would also have to be shown to result in some actual consumer harm. Yes, and to show the effect of that emphasizing the word effect, especially in Europe, hopefully that will be the main focus of the European Commission or the relevant competition agency to focus on the effects on the consumers, the users of the blockchain. And indeed, as far as the entire blockchain is concerned, well, Bitcoin is definitely one of the dominant actors. But other than that, maybe the Ethereum, but the industry is new and you have new blockchains being created every day in fact, I've read articles saying hundreds of them, and hundreds of them die every day as well. So first, to be able to determine any dominance per se, we are far away from that. Well, let's talk about collusion then. It seems to me from reading your really useful paper on this that the key questions we have to be thinking about are whether and how blockchain might engender greater trust amongst colluders than other more usual well-known forms of coordination and how this technology could make agreements between rivals not just easier to get into but easier to sustain. So let's talk a bit about those issues. How is it that the transparency in blockchain makes it more conducive to collusive agreements? I think the main reason is because you do see a double effect, which is the effect of transparency between the members of the blockchain, so between the potential colluders, and the opacity effects for the outside world. The outside world being competition agencies, being competitors, not being involved in the collusion as well. And I think here you have three key elements why company might use blockchain to enter into collusion agreements. First reason is because the information can't be deleted. And for that reason, you can trust that the information, once being put on the blockchain, will stay there. So that could be useful for you in a way if you want to 
work on your cartel or collusion based on some truthful information. The second characteristic is the fact that blockchain is protecting your identity. So if we talk about a private blockchain, because at some point you have to ask the permission to enter the blockchain, well, at least one person has your real life identity. But if that person is one of the polluters, it will be possible eventually to delete all of the information on the blockchain and there to make everything disappear. And if you talk about a public blockchain, well, because you didn't have to ask any permission to enter the blockchain, your identity is protected. And therefore, if you do something anti-competitive, well, only your public key, your public identity on the blockchain will appear, which is not your real life identity. And the third reason is because of a smart contract and the idea that those transactions triggered automatically could be used to prevent deviant behaviors and also to correct them. So I'm sure that it will be discussed eventually between colluders and it could be a good argument to say, listen, because of that, we can trust that everything will run smoothly and that the collusion will be a dream. When we think about the prospects of collusion on blockchain, Again, just as we did with abuse of dominance, we need to distinguish, don't we, between public and private blockchain because you see the risks as much greater with private than with public. Is that right? Well, it is only an hypothesis, but it is most likely that private blockchain will be used. But public blockchain do have some other advantages. The idea is that maybe it seems so unlikely that you will use a public blockchain to implement a collusion, because why would you do so? Everything that you do is public in theory. But what could happen is that those colluders are using the information on the public blockchain, which is in fact public to everyone. But on top of that, they could plug some smart contracts, which could actually stay secret between them, and use that information so to implement a cartel in a secret way. And because of the appearance of visibility, of publicness of the information, it could be a good way to hide some secrets. Okay, so let's start with a really simple scenario where you've got an independent cartel that's created separate from the blockchain. Let's say you've got a group of competitors who enter into some form of market sharing agreement. How might they use blockchain to enforce that cartel? So here we are discussing regular cartel. Companies may, for instance, combine the blockchain with algorithms, and they could implement an algorithm saying that all of the prices to the end customers are being cut by the algorithm and put automatically on the blockchain. If you do that, well, you could automatically be sure to have a register of all of the prices of the other colluders. And you could see if one of them is deviating from the cartel, which of course is great if you want to spot them. So here we talk about the same old practices. The main issue for competition agencies being the detection of those collusions, because the blockchain might protect the parties. And also the action, what can they do eventually? So it's old wine and new bottles. Or is it new wine and old bottles? I always get them mixed up. Exactly. But old wine is good, right? (laughs) But what about collusion happening actually in relation to the blockchain itself? I think you've already mentioned this, that there might be collusion on the conditions of access to the blockchain or collusion relating to the consensus mechanism 
used on the blockchain. Can you give us some scenarios that help us understand how this might occur? Sure. So here it is new one in old or new bottles, and new one is not that good. And in fact, I think it's not that good for competition agencies. The reason is because it's going to be new, so even harder to detect. And also all of the remedies will have the same issues related to blockchain in general. So here, I think we have to discuss the three categories, which are the users, the miners, and the programmers of the blockchain. And they may engage in different strategies to collude. And the objective of that might be different, of course, depending on who they are. For instance, you could think about some developers entering into a collusion agreement related to the conditions to access the blockchain. And they could say, well, we're going to use the blockchain so we can pick and choose who can access the blockchain and who can do what on the blockchain. And so here we only discuss that eventually blockchain might be seen as an essential facility, for instance. And if you can't access the blockchain, then here there is a problem. But here I think we are at the age between what is a collusion related to the blockchain and a collusion using the blockchain. But some other strategies might be very much related to the blockchain itself. So you might say, for instance, we create a collusion over the consensus mechanism. So we implement one consensus mechanism, which is used to assure that all of the information on the blockchain is controlled by us. It could be, for instance, a proof of capacity. And you say, well, for any of the information to be validated and enter into the blockchain, that needs to be validated by all of the users owning a great capacity on their computer to do so. And so here we discuss not only collusion, but a collusion which is related to the way the blockchain is functioning. And that might be very hard to detect for competition agencies. So miners can effectively control the whole content of the transactions and the integrity of the entire system on the blockchain, they become cartelized. What about developers and users? Well, developers, they could enter into an agreement. I would say first that blockchain being at the very early stages, it is unlikely. Why would they do so? But eventually, when competition gets more you know, fierce and intense, they may want to agree on the way to design the blockchain or agree on the way that eventually they will share some of the miners or they will agree on the price to enter information into the blockchain. So one foundation running the code of one blockchain could enter a collusion with another foundation on the way their blockchain are operating. That could be seen and I think that it will be eventually. Mm. And I guess in the case of users, if you've got users who hold a large amount of tokens, they might have the power then to impose their will on others or even influence the miners to make changes to the consensus mechanism in their favor. That would be to the detriment of other users. Those would be the concerns or the risks there. It could be one. If they do get to identify who are the miners or the way the blockchain is functioning or to show the power they do have on the blockchain, it might be very difficult to forbid any centralized form of power that they may have. In terms of enforcement, you've already mentioned that enforcement of antitrust law is going to pose some really significant challenges for competition agencies. And you've referred to the fact that blockchain protects the identity of users, 
particularly in the case of public blockchain, and that makes for detectability challenge and the fact that transactions themselves are encrypted. Surely, though, we can still have the usual reactive detection methodologies, whistleblowers and leniency applicants, and blockchain can't stop detection through those traditional methods, surely? If one of the colluders ever decide to go to the agency and say, I'm involved in an illegal practice, you should have a look, well, there is nothing the blockchain can do. But I think that for some reason linked to the way the blockchain is functioning, you will see probably less of those behaviors. The reason being that if a collusion is implemented using smart contracts, what could happen is that at the very creation of the collusion, they could all agree, well, we're going to collude on the price of our products. And if we do find that one of the companies is deviating from the cartel price, well, that company will be automatically punished by a smart contract. So if the price is more than 10% higher than the cartel price for more than a week, then automatically you'll get punished. You're going to have to give us automatically some of your tokens or it will be more expensive for you to use the blockchain and be part of the agreements, for instance. Because of that, what you might see is that it will prevent deviant behaviors and it will also correct deviant behaviors, which will make blockchain more stable, at least when they function more or less efficiently. But also, because of a smart contract, it might be used as a way for companies to exclude one members. Let's say if the deviation can't be compensated by a smart contract, well, that member could be ejected from the blockchain. Or it could also be used if you feel that something is happening, that one company is actually in a dialogue with the competition authority, you might want to yourself leave the blockchain. And you see empirical studies showing that cartels tend to die for natural reason when there is strong disagreement over the cartel price. So it might be that the cartel might be more stable as far as everything is going on, at least in a normal way. But when there is a strong disagreement between companies, smart contracts might actually disintegrate and kill the entire agreement. Because of that, you won't see those months where a company tend to disagree, but stay in the agreement and eventually one of them decide to go to the agency and apply for leniency. But if blockchain is used to actually kill the agreements, you will probably see less leniency application in the future. So it might be problematic for competition agencies, but in the end, if the cartel is stopped, the result is there which is the end of the anti-competitive practice. Isn't there a reverse scenario, though? You've talked about smart contracts as being used to effectively kill off a cartel where there's fear of detection arising amongst the cartelists. But in terms of remedies, if the blockchain is still going, even if there is a report and sufficient evidence collected to bring a proceeding and seek to have it injuncted, can you stop a blockchain because of its distributed nature? Won't it just keep on going? Can you shut it down, particularly a public blockchain? No. Let's say if the parties use the Ethereum as a basis for the agreements, it wouldn't be impossible to shut it down. The only way would be to actually cut the internet connection of the nodes using the blockchain. Because of that, it might be that indeed one cartel is being detected and keeps on operating which will be problematic. 
in fact. There seem to me to be other complications for remedies if we think about structural remedies. Again, because of the distributed nature of this architecture, how would one go about taking it to pieces to restructure it, given that there aren't clear control points? Well, one way could be to write reverse smart contract. If, for instance, a smart contract is about one sum of cryptocurrencies going from one account to the other, well, you could put an opposite smart contract and making the money go one way and the other. But that would be impossible if the nature of the smart contract is to publish information on the blockchain. Well, then you can't write a smart contract deleting the information from the blockchain because it is impossible by nature. So I think this is a call for finding a way to prevent anti-competitive practices even more than we are doing as of today. And some are asking that all of the smart contracts to be legal should be designed in a way that eventually you could stop them, which could be made if you have decided to do so at the very creation of the smart contract. But if it is not done, then it is too late. And I think that is a big issue because, in fact, some of the companies might think, well, smart contract is being triggered automatically. It means that I don't need any legal advice anymore because it will all happen automatically. And in fact, it might be quite the opposite. They do need an advice saying, well, you want to be able to stop the smart contract eventually. So be sure to design the smart contract this way and not this way. Given the serious challenges that blockchain appears to pose for competition law enforcement, you have suggested, albeit tentatively, that Perhaps this is an area where we should be thinking about ex-ante regulation rather than exposed legal enforcement. What types of regulation, if any, should we be looking to design and build for blockchain? Well, I wish I had a clear answer to that question. I would suggest that probably the first step will be to create regulatory sandboxes or safe harbors where they could say, we know that if you design your blockchain this way, uh, if you use these consensus mechanisms and not this one, if you do have these other mechanisms, it is more likely that the blockchain will be used for anti-competitive practices at some point. Therefore, I want you to design the blockchain the other way around. And if you do so, then it's a sandbox for a certain amount of years, you're free. I think that it will be the safest first step to take. I know that in the UK, for instance, they are in the financial sector working on developing such sandboxes. And I think that is a terrific way to learn how the technology is working and functioning. And that's the first step. And if we don't do that, it will be impossible to do anything without actually taking the risk of killing the technology. Okay, so when it comes to the opportunities for anti-competitive conduct on blockchain, seems to me it's new bottles, but largely old wine. What do you think? Next on Competition Law, we're joined by Matt Stoller from the Open Markets Institute, a think tank in the US that's anti-all things monopoly. Matt has bees in his bonnet about big tech and breakups. And he's got a new book coming out, aptly called Goliath. 
Until then, you can find the show notes for today's episode, including links to Thibaut's writing and other resources and episodes at competitionlawlore.com. Competition Law was produced by writtenandrecorded.com, and I'm Karan Baden-Wells. <laughs> <laughs>